It's always, it's always, it's always millions. They're tens yeah. of millions on these yeah. things. They're, they're not, they're not small trades. They're not yeah. like to this. Unfortunately, <laughs> they were shorting the wrong stock. Yeah. Uh, but by the time they realised it, it yeah. caused like absolute chaos. So, you know, the company they that they work for yeah. started getting rung up by the regulator because it looked like they were doing a hostile takeover on this stock. When hey everyone, Ben here, and welcome. To motivation to invest today we're going to be joined by a very special guest his name is alex and he's a former trader at citigroup which is the third largest investment bank in the entire world just behind jp morgan and goldman sachs so in this video alex is going to reveal to us what is it really like working for a major investment bank we're going to dive into his background his motivation to invest and maybe in some of his tips he can provide for us on our own investing journey. So this is gonna be a really exceptional video, guys, and I think you're gonna like what we've got for you. So before we hop right in, if you do appreciate the value in this video, feel free to give it an early thumbs up that helps out tremendously with the channel. And if you haven't joined the investing family yet and you do like these investing tips and interviews, feel free to join by hitting that subscribe button and turning that notification bell on. And with that being said, let's dive in. Right, Alex. Great to have you here. So what was your motivation to invest? Tell us a little bit about your background, how you got started. So my, my journey into uh, investment was probably a bit different than most people who end up trading at a investment bank. The normal route that people would take into that would be uh, recruited out of university and they've had an aim and made mm. sure they've put themselves in that place where they are seen as a prime candidate to uh, get picked by that. Like a high-end university, Exactly, yeah. like a global university with a reputable program. The route that I took was uh, I'd left the left the, the army, I mm. found myself in London, uh, I found myself at a careers fair and got an, uh, offered a four-week unpaid internship at Citigroup. Yeah. Um, and from that, I then got offered a job in, in back office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did yeah. that for quite a few months, like eight months or so. Yeah. Um, and then through just being good at what I did, but also making connections and talking to people, mm. um, I then got offered a middle office role working yeah. with a trading team. Yeah. And then from that point, I was put on the trading desk itself. So nice. that's not a route that I would suggest anybody to take. Yeah. There's too many variables. There's too many bits of luck, judgment, yeah. opportunity that come into it. You might get shot in the army. Yeah, you could like get shot in the <laughs> army beforehand. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm not sure if like, yeah. If, if the army gave me any skills that would necessarily transfer across. Yeah. Vista, baby. But I think generally you have to kind of go to like a top yeah. end university and get recruited that way if yeah. you want to make it sure. Um, so that's kind of how I got started. Did, the, did the army not give you that maybe discipline or work ethic? Did, the, did it maybe, add anything? Maybe, maybe some others, maybe not me. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm quite resistant to uh, two things and I've got, I'll have my own mind. And yeah. I think that sort of strength of character enabled me to go into different environments and, and make my own judgment, which is, I, th I think, was my USP versus yeah, other yeah. people. So when you get the people from the gen general kind of- Recruitment background, exactly. Yeah. They've, they've, they've done the right courses. They say the right things, they've been to the right university. Yeah. Um, and that's fantastic. Yeah. But then you, I still think within, with any team, you still need people who see things slightly differently yeah. that bring a different aspect to mm. that team and, and In, independent thinkers are very rare yeah i find yeah. like in a lot of jobs in a lot of industries even in investing and also trading people follow like sheep and like lemmings and then if there's a situation or there's some sort of setup and people say well why is it like that they say well it's always been like that this is absolutely true yeah i mean we're, we're all we've all worked in jobs and no matter yeah. where you are what industry you're in 
that will be the generic thing. We just do this process and the only answer is just because we've always done it, which is an absolute terrible yeah. thing to say. So I think because I came from a non-traditional background and because of the way that I was brought up, yeah. I was always questioning why we do things. And that just enabled me to see things I thought were pretty obvious, mm. but weren't obvious, otherwise yeah. it would have been implemented in a different way. Traditional um, educational institutions, they mm. teach people to really think in a box yeah. and just get the right answers to exams and stuff like that. Whereas if you, were, you did, went the army route and then a really alternative route, so mm. perhaps they brought you in as a bit of a wild card because you're going to be thinking you more, you think outside the box, you think independently and that can add something to Citigroup, obviously major investment bank. Yeah. I mean, I think because of the route I went, I was able to prove my, 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 my value every, uh, every step. Here's a question. Is a smart money really the smart money? So in these big investment banks, you've got these supposed to be the best minds in the world. Are they really smarter exponentially than, say, somebody who studied it independently? Everybody truly thinks a smart money is somewhere else, if they're honest with themselves. I think there are a few firms out there that seem to be smarter than others, yeah. um, which I won't name, but <laughs> yeah. I think that generally, like, yeah. if anybody thinks they are the smartest money in the yeah. room, then you're definitely not. It's good to be humble yeah. and also self-aware, because yeah. if you think you know it all and you think, right, this is the smartest possible investment, smartest possible trade right now, then there's probably going to be somebody else smarter somewhere doing something else that's maybe completely different. So. Absolutely. So do you have any funny stories from when you were inside the investment bank? I mean, funny stories always depend on your aspect of which, which size you're on. Um, but I, th I think with when you look at retail investors and they, they, you find sometimes they've, you get confused with the tickers and you maybe mm. bought the wrong stock or it's not the stock you thought it was and there's, yeah. you bought it on the wrong exchange and all those things you think, oh, I, I'm sure these smarter guys at these big funds don't suffer these yeah. unfortunate smart things. Money, yeah. Smart money don't suffer these unfortunate things. They absolutely do. I mean, there was an instant I was aware of where somebody was trying to um, short a stock yeah. uh, and they were hoovering up all around the market and they thought that it was going so well that like, I can't believe I'm like the only person onto this. Unfortunately, <laughs> they were shorting the wrong stock. Yeah. Uh, but by the time they realized it, it yeah. caused like, absolute chaos. So, you know, the company they that they work for yeah. started getting rung up by the regulator because it looked like they were doing a hostile takeover on this stock when, yeah. you know, it's, it's that level of stuff yeah. where it, it really goes to the top level. Uh, and then unfortunately it's going to filter down at some point. And, yeah. Because you know. it was, was it a smaller cap company than the company you thought it was? It, it was, it was, it was. Both, both companies started with, 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 uh, with green yeah. and the, the, the latter part of the name was different, but yeah. when you're just looking at a ticker and you, you, it's early in the morning yeah. and maybe you haven't quite listened to the briefing that well, <laughs> you know, everybody's out there trying to get what yeah. was the hottest short on the market and yeah. you're going around getting all this sort of this stuff in yeah. um, and you think you've done a stellar job and you, you know, what a brilliant job I've done, but yeah. then later in the day when you can't settle your stuff because it's the wrong stock and it's unwinds, yeah. it becomes very like, it, you know, very awkward. So how much, how much, Cash was sort of extinct there. How much? Oh, I, I don't know on the actual approximate. Oh, I, don't, you, I, I don't actually millions. know. Millions. Oh, there's, there's always there's always there's always millions. There's yeah. tens of millions. Of these <laughs> things. They're, they're not they're not small trades. They're not yeah. like because to make money on these things, you have to do it in. If you're going yeah. to have conviction to do something, you you yeah. do it, and you try and um, do as much leverage as you can. Yeah. So there the, there there is. It's not it's not a cheap or you know a quick yeah. fix mistake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But say. Mistakes no, happen, even even with the smart money. Yeah, and what what happened to that guy after that that situation? Obviously, I bit... think he, it wasn't the best for him. I think it's yeah. just it's one of those things. So look, it can happen to anybody.
The show goes on! Yeah, um, and it's just unfortunate that it happened to... Well, this, this is where, whether you're working for Goldman Sachs, Citigroup, or your investment banker, or your retail investor, you're all human being. Yeah. So you can, you can have biases, you can have, yeah, and be emotional. Just calm down. I am calm. Yeah. You can make mistakes. Yeah. And it's, in a way, it's inspiring for those people starting out investing because you, you can see that obviously the pathway everyone makes, even the great Warren Buffett, he's always making mistakes. But the, the, the real amazing thing is being able to admit the mistakes, be self-aware and say, okay, I was an idiot, I made a mistake, and then you can move forward. Yeah. And the difficult thing, and I think the negative thing, which can affect anybody, mm -hmm. no matter what level they are in the industry, is if they're in denial and they think, well, actually, I didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. Because then they can keep making the same mistakes again yeah. and again. I think and again. it's where this idea of smart money comes from, and this idea that there's this big sort of division between the retail yeah. investor and then the, these big finance guys who've got all the information. Look, they make mistakes uh, as well. And I think as a retail investor, you think, oh, it's because I wasn't in the know or something happened. But uh, it's also just because you say you've got those underlying biases. Like you've, you're an emotional creature, you're a human creature. If, if, you can, if you had two parallel days and you were buying the same stock, how you felt about buying the same stock if you had a really good morning mm. or you had a really bad morning will feel very, very different. And therefore, yeah. would your risk parameters slightly change? Would your optimism slightly change upon mm. seeing a bit of news? So I think just being aware of that as a retail investor, especially if you're on your yeah. investment journey and just trying to be aware of it, as you say, making sure that you feed back any learning yeah. you have and try and build that into, into your strategy. Yeah. But also, it's not just a question of, oh, you, you're never gonna be able to, to um, get to the level of the smart money. Mm. You've gotta do what's appropriate for you. Uh, I started in the market in 2007, 2008, so literally like the huge financial crash uh, and the market wasn't the best. So I, you know, my aspect of, of, of the optimism on the market is, is yeah. kind of probably less than somebody who started during a more effervescent period. Mm. So, and it was quite funny. So one of the fund managers I worked for, he started uh, just after 87, so everything was on the up. So he's very positive about being yeah, yeah. an active fund manager yeah. and he thinks he can pick stocks and he does pick stocks. He does really, yeah. really well. Where for me, I, you know, when, when I was trading my product and we had, um, we, we, we used to work with, with arbitrage strategies so mm. you can make money on the up or down, but we also worked a lot with, with, with short selling yeah. um, strategies for hedge funds and then bringing that money back to the long fund yeah. to sort of finance their, their costs then. You know, that made sense to me because in that market, everything was going down. So, yeah. you know, if you've got a stock that's going down, but a hedge fund's going to short it and then give you some of that profit mm. as a long fund, you're thinking, brilliant, because we've got to hold this for our investment for 10, yeah. 20, 30 years. It's having a little blip at the moment, but in 10 years time, 20 years time, it's gone up. But during that really bad period, we've mm. also earned money. So I think that's the sort of the, the aspect I'd like to sort of have the retail investors take yeah. away that short selling isn't this absolute terrible thing what it stops you doing it for me as a, as a retail investor is having a really poor company or really bad investment being overvalued you yeah. buy into it with all the the merits that should mm. be given to that and then you find yourself on the wrong end of yeah uh, of something yeah um that, that's the real issue with these um obviously there's a lot of short squeezes have gone on recently yeah and i i, I say this on the channel the real risk with that is the fact that the fact that hedge fund has done a lot of research in the shorting that stock, they've done it for a reason because yeah. they believe it's overvalued, the fundamentals are poor, it's a declining business. So to actually get a short squeeze, it can work sometimes if you get enough, obviously, momentum behind Absolutely, the stock yeah. and then they have to buy the stock back to actually, yeah. and it further, obviously, escalates the, the share price. 
But there is a major risk of that. Um, like I know there's a major short squeeze that happened with Tesla even before all this GameStop issue. And Tesla, great company, I believe, overall, but there was a lot of people shorting that stock at the time who didn't have faith in the company. We saw the, the situation with GameStop at the beginning of the year. And you've got this idea that the, the retail investor and they're trying to you know give it to the, the big mm. guys. And they, we always use these hedge funds as these... Yeah, terrible, evil caricatures who are sort of sitting there. And these <laughs> yeah. these are the, the the big money, but when you're in the investing space, hedge funds are tiny. They're really yeah. like small, small players. When you've got sovereign wealth funds, you know, with hundreds of billions of dollars, and you've got a little hedge fund that can have a, you know a couple hundred million dollars. Yeah, you see the difference in scope, and therefore, I, I don't see it as starkly as some of the. Um, the retail investors yeah. see it. Now, I, I, I get the idea that their premise is, is, is correct from their understanding, but the way I look at it is, the reason you would short sell anything yeah. is because you, you think the stock is overvalued. Yeah. So what generally happened after the financial crisis in 2008 is a lot of governments tried to ring fence certain stocks, mm. main, mainly financial stocks, okay, because yeah. of the pressure they were suffering. Now you said you can't short sell these stocks, okay? Yeah, because so, they, they know the fundamentals are bad for the company. Exactly. So, yeah. so I'd have my long funds who uh, had these stocks, and you'd have hedge funds who wanted to short them. Now, in some countries, you can do that, mm. and in other countries, they wouldn't allow it. Now, the argument was that if you short sellers drive down the price, but if you're Warren and the price goes down, what yeah. are you going to do? you're going to buy. Yeah, it's okay. a buying opportunity. And therefore, the value of anything can, should be determined by the market. Mm. And therefore, if you restrict market dynamics, you actually inf create an artificial bubble. Yeah. And just because you try and protect a stock, and it happens with a lot of financial stocks, especially yeah. in like Southern Europe, it doesn't make them any better. Zombie companies. They're zombie companies. They're doing yeah. capital raising. So you're an investor in the company. Yeah. They're doing another capital raising this year and the next year and the next year. And you're mm. throwing good money after bad. You've got stocks in Italy that you know, one of the, the oldest banks in the world that was protected for years and years and years and eventually went bust recently. And you're mm. thinking, well, you, you can't restrict market practice and then artificially create a healthy yeah. environment for stocks to be traded in where the true value is given. Wall Street bets and all yeah, the yeah. relatives and the way they approach stuff, I think it's fantastic. Yeah. I think it's fantastic. People are interested yeah. in investing and I really encourage people to become uh, more educated in that yeah. space. I think you've got to be very careful about drawing arbitrary lines that yeah. don't exist because you can find yourself fighting a battle yeah. for no reason. Well, it's a, bit, it's, it's a bit like retail activist investing. And, and I, I've said this on previous videos. I've said, just know why you're investing or why you're trading. And the idea is obviously to make a profit. Yeah. If you're doing it for some sort of protest reason or because you want to take on the big bad hedge fund. That they may take our lives, but they'll never take then your motives have changed yeah. and that can also influence you with plenty of biases so you may invest poorly you may trade poorly you may hold the stock as they say um even though it's a poor company like yeah. let's say gamestop or amc despite all the the out the fundamentals of the business or even the technicals yeah just because you're trying to actually bankrupt a hedge fund so I just think it's quite dangerous, but I do understand, like you said, the reasons behind it. And I feel there's a lot of frustration in the market from retail investors because they feel they haven't got a, a level playing field against the hedge funds. Um, I wouldn't say that the skill set for an investment banking career is very, very different. Uh, and I think personally a lot easier than 
being a so for example i've worked with a, um, a fund manager mm. one of the top fund managers in the uk in his sector um and his job is exponentially yeah. harder because he has to prove himself every day every yeah. year with a track record and keep on producing that where when you're an investment bank and you're trading investment bank you're trading a product yeah uh, and it's about building those relationships make sure you've you've got things that are going to keep on working mm. but you're not necessarily having to go out and making direct investment decisions yeah. that people are then going to judge you on trading floor how is it all set up what was your sort of role in that city group's a huge institution so the trading force would generally be split up uh along sort of like uh, asset lines you'd have an equity trading floor fixed income trading floor your commodities trading floor your fx trading floor mm. so the i was primarily sat on uh the equity trading floor yeah um but within our team we had a couple of fixed income guys and mm. a couple of cash guys as well because yeah. of the products we traded we needed that outlet now when you look at a trading floor and you see these films and you've got the all these screens yeah. and hundreds of people they're all sort of shouting and yeah. whatever they're doing is, is it really like that or is that all i think it's quieting down now because it's obviously a lot of stuff's done on the phone but it's still a very vibrant yeah, and loud environment because of the personalities you've got there <laughs> Yeah. Also, you need to convey information um, and the people around you and your trading team, the reason you have that open structure yeah. is because I, when I'm on the phone to any, any of my clients, I also need to be listening, for example, to the five other guys behind me about what they're doing because what they're doing could also have an impact upon me. Ah, so okay. There is a, the reason you sit so relatively so close yeah. um, and in such an open proximity is to, is to open those barriers that you would normally have in a normal office. I, I see these movies mm. and you see people going like, yeah, I mean, like really aggressive, like, but why don't you put that trade? Is it, is it like, do you get that sometimes or is it I just think, certain, or was that maybe 10, 20 years ago? Is it more, I think, a little, a little bit more chilled now maybe? I, I think, I think obviously it is, Nobody had a problem with people swearing, uh, yeah. I don't think. But then it, I think that the, the old style that yeah. people have in their heads yeah, has, that's has, pretty much, has pretty much gone. I yeah. think one of the best scenes that really like sums up how a trading floor is, it's only one from a one, um, one phone call kind of aspect. So you haven't yeah. got the, the nature of, you know, a hundred of these phone calls going on at the same time. Is, yeah. is a scene in Margin Call where he's yeah. selling, selling the assets down. And I think that the way they talk on the phone, the terminology, yeah. Hey, it's Will Emerson. William, how are you? I'm all right. How's the traveling strife? Busting my ass as always. You see, that's why I tried to tell you, John, why do you think I'm single? I know you did. What can I do for you? Listen, I just got the tap on my shoulder, and we've got some risk over here that we need to move. So today it looks like my loss is your gain. What kind of size are you talking? Should be on your screen. I just sent it. Jesus, where does this land? 96 on the dollar. 91. All three, and we're done at 94. 93 and a half. Done. So, so what are some positives and negatives? The best one is you get to make decisions. And that depends whether you like it or not, but I, I like making active decisions and mm. I like making decisions pretty often. Um, otherwise I'll ruminate and think about yeah. things for days on end. <laughs> yeah. So when I'm forced to make a decision and I've got to make a decision every minute, yeah. and I'm working for like say eight, 10, 12 hours a day, depending yeah. on the time of year, you don't get decision fatigue. You just get used to making decisions and therefore you actually find it easier to make yeah. better decisions because you're in that frame of mind. Downside of that is, um, you what does make it, the wrong decisions maybe? Well, because you're making quick, fast, definite decisions. Yeah. So does as much thought go into it as if you'd make a? I think I think because of the if you're an 
active fund manager, you make decisions at a slower pace, yeah. okay? So you've got that yeah. value investing, yeah, Warren's exactly. idea. Warren's so idea. Yeah. that More is- More patience. Exactly. That's when, actually what I'm trying to do at the moment. I'm trying to mm. not make it, because I'm a bit like you in a way, I like to make quick, fast decisions. Mm. I actually prefer that, but I'm actually trying to not make as many decisions as fast, yeah. so I don't jump into something a bit too aggressively. Yeah, and this is this is a difference. We, we'll touch on this later with where, where my career has gone, but this is the real difference between trading and investing. And people yeah. confuse the two terms. So if you're an investor, you're looking over a much longer time frame, and you should leave things alone and yeah. not overreact just because something's happened or hasn't yeah. happened. Um, when you're trading, and I'd say it probably makes sense at this point to kind of go into how my what my role was and what my mm. team did. Um, but you, you aren't making those kind of investment decisions based upon what you think the future of a stock may be. For example, you yeah. are, you're, you're trading around the product. So yes, you can make wrong decisions, mm. but it's not as arbitrarily seen as, oh, I should have held the stock and yeah, yeah, yeah. sold it here, or I should have bought it here. And yeah, yeah. you know, those, those classic kind of ones. So the downside just from having all that, the, the time you spend in the job and the intensity mm. of the job can have an impact upon people's health and their other parts of their life. Um, and that's another reason why, as you see later on the journey, I want to start, want to start bringing a few more aspects into my life other than just a job and hence one of my motivations to move away from the trading into where I currently am. When you're on that trading floor, if you picture that, you've got all those people, they're not all yeah. doing the same thing. The product that my team uh, focused on was uh, for long managers, yeah. who are going to hold their stock, hopefully, yeah. um, because it's doing well and they picked it for the right, uh, right reasons. Uh, going to hold it for a long time. But while you're doing that, you've still got a lot of other things that will happen to it. Yeah. So you have to have, you have to put it somewhere so you have a custodial bank mm. that's going to look after it. But they're going to want fees for doing all the things that happen on a stock, like a corporate action or paying a dividend, and mm. just holding, holding your assets. They're not going to do that for free. Okay. Um, so with that, if you're just holding the stock, you've got to finance that. So you, yes, of course, you can you can take it out of your own trading profits from your fund, yeah. or you can you can let somebody like myself make money using your stock in on a different investment time frame ah. than your time frame. So I we had a legal that agreement sense. that basically said, this is your stock. It always yeah. is your stock, but you've given us permission to hopefully make you some revenue okay. in the short term. There's no risk to you, but you just you're going to earn a little bit of nice cash along the side that then you can use to offset your, your fees and your costs in running your own mm. business and hopefully have some profit as well to put into your overall um, okay. head. So is that like you'd, sell, you'd be selling options and doing that type of thing, company will volunteer mm. with their assets and say, okay, you can invest these in the short term or option or do option yeah. trading with them yeah. and that's fine. But that's not done, I'm assuming, for somebody who's just got stocks in a brokerage account. Then. No, no, I think, so the, the industry is evolving and the, the product that we worked on is evolving and a lot of the, um, a lot of the, the funds who do have retail investors uh, assets mm. may be doing this and do do this internally yeah. themselves to, to make sure that your retail investors have a lower cost of uh, operation because mm. they use the cost of this to say finance those holding those equities and therefore yeah. they can pass that onto their investors. So, your Black Rocks and your Vanguards yeah. who where people got passive investment. Yeah. And you want to they want to get it as a low low, low expense ratio. Exactly, yeah. They really want to have like as few bips going on as possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
uh, and that's the attractiveness of it. Now you can, the more you can reduce the cost of running that business yeah. through other, other um, ah. aspects, the, the better it is for your retail investor coming yeah. to buy that product because they don't have to pick up all those extra costs. Okay. So then the natural question is, well, what sort of things can you do with the stock? Yeah. If you're holding it for the long term, what can uh, I do with it on a different investment time frame? So mm. I would find a, for example, a hedge fund that has yeah. a short term view yeah. on a situation in the market for example may short a stock yeah now for this they're therefore they're going to borrow the stock from mm. me um and if, effectively from my long fund yeah they're going to sell it in the market hopefully the price goes down then they buy it back mm-hmm. they will then give us a stock back and yeah. the, the the hopefully for them yeah the the difference between where they sold it and where they had to buy it back will be their profit okay. now always built into that irrespective of where the stock goes is effectively to keep it really simple a rental fee mm-hmm. for providing that now how we structure that rental fee will be driven by a lot of different metrics like you know how hot was that stock to yeah. short how much demand was there to short that of what time frame mm. were they going to do it so you put all these metrics around it to make sure that you can't run the hedge funds out of making any profit otherwise it would never take the opportunity no difference between an trading strategy and an investment strategy mm-hmm. an investment strategy should be over a much longer timeline yeah and this is where my journey is now gone i've gone into away from the trading aspect mm. away from um from that side to try and yeah. give retail investors normal people the information they need to make sure that yeah they're making money but also the, the main thing is they know how they're going to make money mm. but also they know why they, they want to make that money so you yeah. tie what they want to do to a real need yes yeah. it's great having loads of money it's going to solve all your issues mm. until you go to hollywood and you find that yeah. all those people have more issues than yeah normal exactly people. that's so very true yeah you're better off having an understanding of what you're doing and what you want in terms of health insurance so you want better work three times more people in this country this is yeah. uk i'm speaking about have insurance for their pet yeah than they do on their own life yeah, yeah. or own health and you think well that's ridiculous yeah, that's ridiculous so yeah. six people love their dogs six yes people love their dogs 18 percent of people will insure their dog yeah only six percent of people insure themselves that's crazy yeah and that's really worrying because if you've got a family and you've got uh you know you can't go to work mm. long term you've got no reserves you've built up yeah you then you start you might start needing to cash in your investment mm. positions it might be the best time to do it there's not a lot of financial education uh, globally I, I completely agree with that I, I i believe the education system's broken they're not taught how to make money work for them yeah and i find that a major issue in the education system right now yeah and obviously financial education is the way forward and but it's just not done in schools at the moment so it's up to people to actually seek out independent financial advice or just wherever you can learn the information learn it yeah. and that's just the best way to do and actually understand yourself, understand your own financial goals, your own investing goals, and then take it from there because everyone's investor journey, I believe, is very personal. Yeah. So everyone needs to have their own path, their own route, and their own goals. Yeah. And yeah. And then you've got other aspects as you evolve. I mean, if, you, if you're a young guy, that's fine. Yeah. But then as you start having more responsibilities and other things start coming to play, you've got a mortgage, you've got a couple of kids, yeah. you've got this, you've got that. Then you start thinking, well, actually that evolves. Then you've got to start thinking, it's not just about your investment strategy, it's how that investment strategy fits into your lifestyle. Guys, I just want to say, I, I know I always say on this channel, this is not financial advice, but Alex is a financial yeah, advisor. So now, yeah. um, this video is not financial advice, but if you guys do need financial advice, I will leave a link for with all Alex's details in the description below. 
So you can check that out if you do want to sort of set some financial goals for your lifestyle. And yeah, it's been great to have you on, Alex, today. Um, feel free to give this video a big thumbs up, guys, if you haven't already. Subscribe if you haven't already. And Alex, yeah, it's been fantastic to have you on. Yeah, and yeah, ho hope you guys enjoyed the video. Comment your thoughts below um, on anything that we've talked about in this video. And uh, invest safe. Thank you.